in the time and the emotions when you're doing it, it's all very hectic, obviously, and you know, it's all, all hands to the pump, literally. You know, <laughs> there was a lot of pumps on board, I think 18 at one point. Um, you know, Tyson Lamond, who's our boat captain, was uh, doing a good job of, of keeping everybody sort of on track, as in, you know, we think we're going to be good with the boat, guys, let's just keep focused on this, or, you know, it's. It's, uh, it seems funny now having that sort of conversation when you know we're having that conversation about oh we should be okay guys but we were stood on the deck knee deep in water having that conversation so we are kind of half sunk at that point. It's interesting you always talk to people and you say oh you went to the Olympics yeah where would you come you say oh fifth and they go you know, some people look around and go, oh, that's an amazing achievement. Whereas other people look around and go, oh, never mind, you know. To be honest, the only thing Hamish and I could come up with that would have given us a better performance was uh, starting earlier. You know, had we have started six months or a year earlier, we'll never know. But that was, if there was one thing, that would possibly be it, you know. weeks ago I went and did a talk at the Eastern Beach for the Opti camp and um, there's that TV show isn't there are you smarter than an 11 year old and uh, you know all this group of 11 year olds are firing me questions about apparent wind and foil can angles and all this kind of stuff it was uh, quite intense but they did ask me the question and I did say honestly there are times when I wouldn't have to go upwind or downwind. Hi everyone and welcome to the first Broadreach radio podcast for the year. I certainly hope you've had a good summer. Today we talk to Jim Turner who has been a leading figure in the American Magic team challenging for the America's Cup. Of course American Magic were eliminated from the series a week or so ago and Jim talks about his experiences and observations with the team including the dramatic capsize that almost saw their boat sink. Jim has been involved in three America's Cup campaigns, starting with the British Challenge in 2003, and he talks about how the competition has changed over that time and where he sees it going. He also gives his thoughts on how the role of the grinder has evolved and how he's managed to keep pace as those around him get younger and younger. There's a lot more to Jim's career than the America's Cup, and he's accumulated 15 world titles in various classes and has sailed on a number of different professional circuits. He also competed for New Zealand at the 2012 Olympics, which coincidentally was sailed only 30 kilometres from where he grew up. Jim is also an Opti dad, and he explains what it's like now to help his kids as they begin their journey in the sport. Jim Turner is an engaging figure and had lots of good stories and insights, so I hope you enjoy this interview. Jim Turner, welcome to the show. Thank you. Well, we're sitting down at the American Magic base and the team are packing up around us. Uh, we're presently in the design team in a, a design room and there's obviously not many designers here at the moment. But uh, has it sunk in yet that the campaign is over? I guess especially as there hasn't been any racing since your last race. Yeah, it's a, it's a funny one because uh, you know you're working at such a frenetic pace the whole time, and then uh, before you know it, it's literally over. You know, it's uh, um, you go from one day when you're going at full pace, um, and, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay, that's it. It's, it ends very quickly. 
how do you look back on the campaign? Um, it's all still a bit raw at the moment because I guess we're only, uh, um, you know, a week or so week, you know, after, after being knocked out. Um, disappointing way to go out. I mean, I think we, there's an overriding feeling uh, inside the walls of American Magic that we're uh, a lot stronger team than um, a lot more capable team than what the scorecard suggests. Um, but as Terry often says, you know, the scorecard is our measure and uh, and it's not good, you know, and that's that's why we're no longer in. Um, I mean, we look back on the campaign, you know, in the, in the short, you know, just uh, with everything still being raw, I mean, you know, we feel like we did a lot of things very well. Um, but again, the score, scoreboard doesn't show it. Um, you know, obviously the cap size uh, will be long talked about as a defining moment for the for the campaign uh, was it the the moment that sort of made it a bridge too far or, or you know um, again there's a lot uh, a lot to go through and I'm uh, you know the plan is obviously in the coming weeks to look back on it in more detail and uh, see you know what do we miss what do we do wrong you know in, in more detail but I mean uh, the reality of sport and it's, it's a brutal it's brutal in all sports but it's um you know, for this America's Cup, there was four teams. Uh, all four teams were very well resourced with uh, extremely good people, whether it be in the sailing teams, the design teams, the engineering shore sides of these teams. Um, there's no, you know, there's no easy tickets in this in this game. And uh, it was always well talked about in, in here that, you know, you know, you could just as easily come last as first. You know, it's not... Um, I think, and I think as the racing we've seen to date, whether it be at the Christmas Cup and here, you know, there's been some close racing with lots of lead changes, and uh, you know that, that that proves that right. You mentioned that you know you felt like things were going well. Did particularly people were really talking you up after that Christmas Cup? Did you feel like you were onto something special at that stage? Um, I think, like with anything, um, you, you always try to focus on what you are doing and, and not what other people are doing. You know, so you put out the white noise you know you see the, you know, the media talking us up as, as favourites and these type of things again the scoreboard is uh, is the what you're judged on you know and obviously the scoreboard at Christmas Cup is pretty strong so you know it would lead to all intents and purposes that we are going down the right path and we are doing a lot of things well but you know um, post Christmas Cup we were just full, uh, full heads down concentrating on what our next move was we had um you know, visible developments going on the yacht with the the skeg and uh, you know sail program and various ongoing development path. Um, to be honest, we don't really spend a lot of time. You know, we obviously have a recon team telling us what the uh, the other teams are up to, but you know, we're just focused on on ourselves. Now you mentioned the capsize, and it was a fairly dramatic one. Uh, where where were you at that time? Were you on the boat? Uh, no, on that day. So um, my role for the racing was that I would. Um, Leave the dock on the boat and sail up until, you know, um, you know, shortly before the race, and then Terry would sail in that spot. So uh, it would allow him to uh, look around the race course uh, from either the chase boat, the back of the boat, um, um, with his tactical computer, and uh, plot the race. So um, I'd sailed up until then, and I jump into to the chase one, as we call it, next to the yacht, um, and then have a good set of eyes on the yacht from there um, so yeah so when we capsized um, I guess we were the first responders uh, straight in with the tow line and getting getting involved was it immediately immediately apparent how serious the situation was 
Uh, it was. Uh, there's a couple of indicators for that. Was that the uh, the boat was sitting lower in the water than it normally would. Um, one of the great design features of these boats, which they did a fantastic job on, is that they're designed that when they're capsized, that the cockpits would be sort of exposed from the water and the mainsail also. Um, but uh, we noticed that the mainsail skins were lying on the water, so the boat was clearly um, lower than it should be. And um, one of the other chase boats that was coming in uh, stopped to grab something, thinking it was one of the hatches or something, and is actually, you know, the panel uh, that had blown out. So um, we, we, you know, we very quickly knew we had an issue. Um, obviously, we couldn't drop the uh, we couldn't drop the starboard um, board which we put into a capsized position to right the boat. We were unable to do that because um, uh, the whole foil count system's underwater. So uh, we had to, you know, um, again, a lot of media saying is like, oh, had we been able to right the boat earlier, we might not have had so much trouble and these things. But, you know, you've got a hole on the side of the boat. And um, as we debrief with uh, our friends at Team New Zealand and all the other teams, you know, you can... Uh, you can have a, uh, an activation plan for every situation under the sun, but every every situation is uniquely different. Um, yeah. Did you did you have moments when you thought it was going to go when it was going to sink? Um, yes. Yeah. I mean, it's it's funny it's, it, in the time and the emotions when you're doing it. It's all very hectic, obviously, and you know, it's all, all hands to the pump, literally. You know, <laughs> there was a lot of pumps on board. I think 18 at one point. Um, and there's a lot of action, but you know, amongst some of the guys discussing, and uh, you know, Tyson Lamond, who's our boat captain, was uh, doing a good job of, of keeping everybody sort of on track. As in, you know, we think we're going to be good with the boat, guys. Let's just keep focused on this. Or you know, it's one is to obviously cork the hole, and the other one is to get the water out. You know, to try and make the boat stable. So once we got on top of, uh, once we got on top of um, covering the hole up, we 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 were reasonably confident we'd save the boat, but. It's, uh, it seems funny now having that sort of conversation when you know we're having that conversation about oh we should be okay guys but we were stood on the deck knee deep in water having that conversation so we are kind of half sunk at that point. But so you get the boat back to to the base. You know what was the I guess the mood around the place? Uh, it's two. I think some people are like you know holy moly what's going on here that was uh, that's pretty wild and then um, you know the, the whole fact that it's kind of excuse the pun but the whole sort of sinking in that what, what's actually just happened and how um, you know are we going to be able to sort this are we going to you know is, is that us done you know is it all over all that you know you see it all gone all going going away very quickly um, but we um, you know we got the boat in the shed we had a full team meeting and we're like okay guys you know we've got 10 days this will be this will be um, one of the hardest things we've ever had to do but you know, we we got. You look around the room, and it's full of very, very good people in, in all the areas. And um, and I think I got home to bed about four o'clock in the morning. Uh, but I went, you know, I was head to pillow, more thinking about how we're going to fix it rather than it's all over. In the next few days, what was your sort of role? And uh, well, it's all hands to the pump. Uh, I get involved in the, um, the winch, you know, winch mechanical system. So um, I was in my area, but. You know, every single person was in the team. You know, the girls from the the girls from the office, uh, the the, the, the guys that do the catering, the the physio, the, the, the trainer. Like every single person on the team is doing something actively towards getting the boat repaired. It might be driving out to a supplier. It might be cutting some four by two for some framing. It could be anything. You know, um, 
which is really cool. I mean, it's not you don't want to have team building exercises like that, but um, it certainly it certainly works to uh, to, to gel everyone together. Um, but you know, every single item on that yacht, from uh, deck gear to hydraulic, uh, electrical, every single item had to come off the yacht um, to be uh, tested, and then it was either it was either um, reinstalled or replaced. So it's pretty much a, a full refit. We all remember that day. That was almost like a, another unveiling, and you had the the bandage on the the side of the um, side of the boat as well, which is a really nice touch. Was it quite emotional, I guess, to see it go back in the water? Um, it was. I think everyone, you know, I th I think where these things affect people most is that you just, you know, you're going out in the water a couple of days before the semi final of the Prada Cup, and uh, everyone's exhausted. The whole team had just fried. You know, you've, there's some long hours have gone in, and uh, you know everyone's pretty much, you know, just teetering on the on the edge. So it, it is emotional. You know, you see what's happened, and you see, you know, um, more. I think because we had uh, all the, you know, we thought it's important for the wives and uh, uh, you know wives, husbands, um, families to all all come in and see, you know, and sort of have a family day uh, for that first day of sailing. Um, just just to sort of acknowledge their their part in it because you know whilst it was all going on here they were keeping it afloat at home did you think you'd be competitive in the Prada Cup semis um in reality we always knew that you know Luna Rossa were going to be always getting better as all teams would be and will be um we we had I guess um we had development that we were going to be doing in that period um you know, so you can look back and say, you know, had we have not capsized, uh, had we have won or lost that race um, on the final leg, and had we have uh, had our, had that time to develop the boat, we would have been more competitive um, than we were in the first weekend. Uh, Luna Ross obviously made some changes uh, in that week, and were were competitive too. So we knew we were going out, and it was going to be very tough. But um, we always sort of knew that if we could uh, sail well and execute, then we put ourselves in the race. Um, yeah, and you know, at that point, you've you've got what you've got, and you just got to get on with it and do the best you can. You know, we know we're, you know, it's not like we're, it's not like we're trying to run a marathon with a broken leg. You know, we've got a, might have a broken toe, but it's not like we're, you know, not capable of of, of a good performance. The record books, as Terry would show, was was four and zero, uh, and a couple of them were particularly close. Well, you know, how was that? You know, as a way to go out, how was that to take? Yeah, very tough. Um, it'll be a tough one to get over this campaign because, as I as I said at the start, you know the, you know there's there's a lot of very good people in this team that are experienced and have been in this game a long time. We've got guys that have won the cup and lost the cup and uh, been you know various positions in between. And um, you know everybody to a man is like, oh, we're better we're better than that. You know, say so the scorecards are measured, but we we all uh, we all feel feel we've been shortchanged a little bit. Yeah. So you've been through a number of campaigns, um, starting with the British one in 2003. So how does this one, I guess, compare to some of the other ones you've been involved in? Um, well, I guess if it, back to the start of my journey, 2003 Cup. So I, you know, uh, when I was you know, 20, 20 years ago. So I guess uh, uh, joined that team 2001. So yeah, it's literally 20 year journey to get to this point. And you know, you go from being the young guy, and I guess. Uh, at that time, you just concentrate on 
your contribution and, and having you know I guess 20 years later in a more senior role in the team you have uh, um, a lot different set of eyes um, you know, obviously the boats have changed massively and you know the technology race that we're in um, it's really exciting actually what's what's happening with the boats it's probably yeah. a good um, yeah. time actually then to I guess maybe explore a little bit more about your America's Cup experiences and and how that has changed over time but it's probably also useful just to go a little bit more into your background because there are obviously some traces of an English accent in there. Yeah. Um, you come from Lyme Regis yep. on the south coast of England not too far from Weymouth. Was it natural you'd get into sailing? Um, yeah. Growing up in a small fishing town Lyme Regis there's uh, you know there's uh, winter sports of uh, rugby and football uh, and in the summer, you know, there's cricket and there's sailing. You know, the sailing club is like right in the middle of the harbour. It's a big hub, and um, you know, they always have had a, a very good youth program. Um, you know, back to the grassroots days of uh, having a mirror dinghy where you had to sort of scrape all the previous years paint and varnish off, and then paint and varnish it yourself, and then that was your boat for the summer. So you got, you know, learning some valuable lessons in looking after your kit and uh, going sailing and it was kind of pretty much what most of your school friends and people in the town did. Yeah. So you yeah. jump on a boat at a, a young age. When did it kind of, I guess, really start clicking for you in terms of results? Uh, well, my brother Chris, uh, who's now managing director at Ovington Boats, he um, he was a pretty, always a very good 420 and laser sailor in like the British youth squad and things. So I was uh, three years younger than him, so I always had that sort of, you know, by trying to be the best uh, laser sailor in my house meant you were quite good <laughs> uh, um, compared to your peers. But I was kind of fortunate that I sort of grew into a laser. And then at that time, uh, uh, Ben Ainsley, uh, Ian Percy, uh, Andrew Simpson, uh, Richard Sydenham, Hugh Styles, a lot of very good sailors um, uh, were in that, you know, all in the same age and we're all sailing lasers. Um, you know, within the like the youth program, um, and it turned out that it's a pretty successful group of guys. Um, at the time, you know, you'd come fifth or sixth in a race, and you'd be all upset about it. But here we sit, twenty years later, and they've got more medals than they know what to do with those guys. So, um, it's very fortunate to be, you know, part of that on the fringes of that group and being involved in it. So, um, we were learning a lot, but um, you know, we were sort of self-coaching and self. You know the the RWA had a very always have had a very good structure in the UK um, under the watchful eye of Jim Saltonstall. Um, it's very well structured, very well organised, and it's it's produced a lot of good competitive sailors over the years. So you mentioned your ambition was to be the best laser sailor in the house, but what was the wider ambition? Well, it's um, I think when you're young, you know, I didn't really have the sort of you know, you're just going event to event trying to get be better than you were the time before. You know, you, the lessons you learnt one week, you were trying to not not make the same mistakes again and try, you know. So you're more about developing the skills and getting better and you always want to say, you try to win the youth trials, you try to win, you, whatever it was, you try to win. And, you know, obviously, you know, a bit like the America's Cup now, only one person can win and, uh, and um, you know, it doesn't stop you trying. And I, and I think just with that group of people at the time, um, you know, everyone was pushing each other, so you weren't really thinking about where it was going to end. Because uh, I guess in the mid '90s, you know, for us to be thinking about, you know, oh, I'm going to get paid to go race America's Cup boats, 
wasn't really a thing. I mean, in the UK at that time, um, there hadn't been an America's Cup team for a number of years. So it wasn't like, I think in New Zealand, you know, you always had the 95 challenge, the 2000 challenge, you know, you always had something where where kids of that era would have been, that's what I want to do and that's where my progression is. But in the UK, it was all, you know, around that time as well is that the laser became an Olympic class as well. So I guess the focus was more trying to, trying to get good at that. Yeah. How good did you get? Uh, in the laser, not, you know, <laughs> I was up against some stiff competition, I say, over Ian and Ben and Andrew and those guys. Um, and um, and I outgrew it. So I moved quickly into um, crewing uh, trapeze dinghies, um, uh, fireballs, international 14s, all these type of boats. Uh, with, with, you know, with a good degree of success winning world championships and those type of things. Um, and I think it was the foundation I had going through the youth program and the laser with all these good guys that once I started sailing uh, classes outside of the Olympics, it was, uh, you know, it's, um, we're pretty pretty dominant, to be honest, for a three or four year period where we won a lot of uh, championships. So there's six world titles, isn't there? Uh, in dinghies, yeah, 15 total if you okay. put across all the other stuff, but yeah, a lot a lot in those days. But um, And it's brilliant. I mean, there's nothing better, I don't think, uh, you know, in those days the fireball used to get 120, 140 boats at world championships. Uh, one line start uh, is just fun you know you look back at it now it's uh, I guess in the last 20 years there's been so many different uh, dinghies have come online um, over time um, you know it's sort of spread a bit thin now you know in the 90s it was like a 505 a fireball an international 14 um, certainly in Europe there was you know the big ones outside of the Olympics uh, now there's hundreds of classes so I guess everyone everyone's a winner these days <laughs> Well, you mentioned that there hadn't been a British challenge for so long, but one came along for the 2003 uh, edition in Auckland here. You were part of that team. So how did that opportunity come about? Uh, well, through, through winning you know, back-to-back Fireball World Championships, um, there's an ex-Fireball sailor, Adrian Stead, in the UK, who was also... Um, Ado was also, uh, you know, Olympian in the Soling and the Flying Dutchman and the around the world race with Silk Cut and things. And, and Ado, um, Ado asked me to to join the Barlow Plastics team, I think, for maybe the '99 Admirals Cup. Um, and you know, I jumped on this Mum 36. I'd never been on a boat bigger than a Fireball. Uh, you know, had a you know spinnaker pole and brace and sheet and all this kind of stuff and I was sort of a bit um, <laughs> uh, well out of my depth never seen a winch never yeah I didn't you know what I was doing uh, but um, Ado is all about you know getting good good young sailors dinghy sailors that you know you can teach them how to load a winch but you can't teach people how to pick a wind shift or uh, you know the, the the other skills involved so uh, a lot of that team morphed into a, um, a team for the Tour of Wild, the Tour de France and then that team sort of largely morphed into um the GBR Challenge for 2003. Um, at the same time, I was actually I was sailing with um, the um, SEB team for the what was then Whitbread race. Um, so I was down in Portugal training with them when the team formed, uh, and I got the call up to go join the British team. And you know, it's the f- being a young British guy and the first British team they'd had for 20 years. I was, you know, uh, I think I'd said yes before it even, you know, got. <laughs> Would you be? Yes, yes. Uh, so. so what was that campaign like? You know, people talk a lot about America's Cup, and I guess particularly in this country now, you know, does it live up to your expectations as that kind of 
pinnacle of the sport. Yeah, that well, I mean, that was brilliant. I mean, he came out because for those campaigns we had was it 10, 12 challenges, and uh, we were based. You know, they didn't have World Series events and that type of thing then, so we were based in New Zealand for best part of two years full time with two boats, two crews, you know, and we'd all mix around each day. And two boats crane in, you tow out to Rangi Light, pull your mainsails up, and you're just two boats going at it all day. It might be long days of testing, or it might be lots of pre starts and changes. And, you know, it was just. Um, you know, I think we were bigger. You have a bigger sailing team. You had like sort of 35 in your sailing team, and uh, so there's a lot of banter and there's a good atmosphere, and uh, there's no competition for you know who's sailing and who's not or whatever because everyone's sailing every day, and it's just you know it's a real cool creative environment for trying different ideas and and, and, and learning. It's, it's it's very cool. Yeah. So was it uh, natural for you to continue pr your progression in the America's Cup? You were in with uh, the Arriva Challenge in 2007 in Valencia? Yep, yeah. Uh, it, it, and it's funny the um, how those teams kind of form, and it was quite interesting because after GBR Challenge 2003, you know, we, we put up a solid effort. You know, I think we, we had an equal win-loss ratio. So for a, uh, a start-up team that hadn't, hadn't been involved for a long time and most people, most of us on our first campaign is all you know it's pretty good and uh, Peter Harrison the uh, founder was you know he put some seed money forward for us to carry on going so we spent the next year or 18 months back in the Solent as if the British team was going to happen um, you know and there was some you know some of us had offers from other teams to go with uh, you know for, for 2007 and we're like no no we're staying with the British team we're you know loyal to our guys and and then uh, slowly, but uh, slowly, that one fizzled out. So a lot of us were kind of uh, a bit kind of snookered in what we're going to do next. Um, and then the opportunity came on reasonably late to sail with the uh, the Arriva team. Um, so I grabbed it, and you know, it's uh, it's definitely an event you'd rather be involved in rather than watch on TV, uh, from my perspective. And and again, we had a, we had a, a real good team. It's uh, a real interesting learning experience having, you know, the those you know the the say the Anglo-Saxon group of guys on the team and the French guys and um, and getting it all to to work harmoniously which we which we managed to do and and again our win-loss ratio is pretty even so we put up a good put up a good challenge and again there's the 10-12 boats so the racing was just amazing you know there'd be there'd be races when you had a 30 tack beat there'd be races when you crossed the line and you had to look up at the um, at the finish boat to see which boat had won you know and um, yeah it was just a real you look back on it now, starting to sound very old, the way I'm talking, like back in the old days. Yeah. Uh. Well, how does a guy from Lyme Regis then go on and represent New Zealand at the 2012 Olympics? Yeah. Um, so, you know, 2001 I was out here sailing for GBR Challenge and um, met my wife Paula. And pretty much from 2001 we've been living in New Zealand. So, yeah, we're pretty much 20 years living here now. Um, the nomadic lifestyle of a sailor that you're often on the road you know you're, you're traveling overseas and competing and you know uh, but we've, we've, we've always you know since 2005 we got married here on Waiheke and we've had uh, we've been living here for 15 years and you know had our house here for 15 years had both our children were born here um, so New Zealand's kind of always been the last 20 years been home um, just don't spend as much time here as we'd like obviously with all the the, sail the sailing travel um, so um, yeah, to, for, the, for sailing the star with Hamish is um, 
I'd been sailing a 2006, 7, 8, I was sailing a Finn. Uh, good friends with Dan Slater, so I'd, uh, we'd often train here in New Zealand. So um, we were, you know, sailing the Finn. Um, I knew Hamish from all our other sailing in, um, you know, America's Cup sailing, but, you know, being around on the World Match Racing Tour and TP52s, these type of boats. Um, and he was, uh, uh, he was sailing with Craig Monk at the time, uh, Hamish was, and um, uh, Craig had America's Cup commitments with the Artemis team, and it was sort of a bit of a, you know, trying to choose which one you go with and uh, so Hamish uh, put it my way as if I'd be interested to do it um, and um, and I thought it was, uh, it was kind of too good an opportunity to, to, to not do you know um, having always dipped my toe in, in the Olympic arena whether it be in the soling the fin the laser always sort of dipping my toe in but not really committing properly um, we said okay well we'll give it a go but you know Hamish was sort of alluding to it be his last crack at it. It'd been three times before, and it's like you know we're doing it, we're doing it, and uh, so we we did a short campaign, but we you know we didn't leave anything, no stone unturned in that period. So you finished fifth um, at the London Games. You know, how do you look back on that? Is that were you satisfied? Well, it's, it's interesting. Um, I guess it's a process we, we'll, we'll do here soon. You know, when you uh, when you you come up short. I mean, it's interesting. You always t- talk to people and you say, "Oh, you went to the Olympics? Yeah, where would you come?" And you say, "Oh, fifth. And they go, "You know, some people look around and go, "Oh, that's an amazing achievement." Whereas other people look around and go, "Oh, never mind." You know, uh, but it it is one of those where if you look back on it in a full review process and. Like New Zealand does a great job of that when they, you know, you, you have to compare yourself to the guys that won gold. You know, were you as well resourced? Were you, uh, were you as fit? Were you as tactically aware? Like you go through your whole campaign against the guys that won gold, and um, and where you fill in. And to be honest, the only thing Hamish and I could come up with that would have given us a better performance was uh, starting earlier. You know, had we have started six months or a year earlier, we'll never know. But that was, if there was one thing, that would possibly be it, you know. A bit like the America's Cup, time gets the better of you eventually. Um, that would be the one thing. Um, we were very competitive, you know, we medaled a lot of World Cup events, we, you know, we, we won a lot of races. Um, if anything let us down, it's possibly just a not quite enough time together to be, you know, at that level, the, the Hellman crews need to be automatic and in sync, you know, you can't be, you know. And, and we were, like, we were bloody good, but not. You know, you're up against uh, Robert Scheitz, Freddie Luzzi and Percy. It's, like it's, it's sort of the best of the best. So you can be um, amongst your peer group, you know, you can be satisfied that you've put up a good result. And, you know, um, but I guess we're all pretty competitive people. And unless you're winning, you're, <laughs> you're disappointed. What about the fact that it was held at Weymouth, which is only about 30 k's from where you grew up and, and learned to sail? Yeah, um, I got plenty of heat for that from um, actually from both the British team and the New Zealand team. So <laughs> that's one I, I wasn't able to get past. But uh, well, it's uh, now my so my brother Chris uh, he has a Ovington boats. He has a setup. His build one of his one of his factories is actually in Weymouth inside that building, and it's uh, it's it's literally our local. We did all our youth sailing would be in Portland or Weymouth uh, as kids, and it's um, yeah, it did feel a bit strange to be sailing in. Weymouth Bay with a you know as I say I guess I'm 45 years old I've spent half my life in the UK and half of it here so we're sort of you know So when people ask what country you come from what's your answer? 
I'm a, I'm a New Zealander, yeah. Yep. Born in the UK, New Zealander. Do you think you would have pushed for another Olympics if the star had been retained on the program? Yes. Yep. Yep, for sure. Um, we had the infrastructure and everything was in place to, to go. I mean, I think we had got ourselves, we might have got ourselves up to uh, world ranked in the top three uh, by the Olympics and, you know, say fifth there. It's, it, it's like, you've, you, again, you feel like you need to give it another go. And we would have done, I think, yeah. I mean, the star's a boat where it rewards, a, it does reward experience, but also, um, like, Hamish had won the world championships with uh, Carl Williams. And, um, you know, we definitely, we definitely would have been amongst it for sure, yeah. So when, then what became the focus? Um, you did a bit of, you were, well, still racing TP52s, Maxi 72s, you know, what else was on your sort of... Uh, plate at that stage yeah um, we've been doing you know the Mac the, the 72s and 52s for a number of years and it's um, they're really good it's um, well the the era that we grew up in is that often you'd be sailing professionally to earn money to spend on Olympic sailing or dinghy sailing you know it's how we'd fund our sailing it's uh, you know the funding programs um, these, you know, even these days, you know, when you're selling a starboat, you're, you're looking at a million dollar a year campaign, they're not, they're not to be taken lightly. So, um, you know, we always, Hamish and I are both always doing a lot of that type of sailing, um, which amongst your Olympic sailing is, is really good as well because it sharpens your skills. A lot of, uh, you know, a lot of the guys that go Olympic sailing and all they do is sell their laser, you know, uh, 250 days, 300 days a year, whatever, is great. But, you know, sailing other classes does make you, you know, you could be like sailing with Terry Hutchinson, sailing with people, you know, that, and, you, you know, you sit listening to what they're saying and some of the tactical plays and that, you're like, oh, yeah, you know, you, you, you're never too old to learn and there's, there's, there's plenty to learn out there. Was it a good lifestyle travelling around and sailing at events around the world? Uh, it is, and I wouldn't change it, you know, as, you know, um, Say if you uh, if you asked a 15 year old me that you'd get to go around the world race on sailing boats, get paid for it, you know, it's um, we're we're the fortunate ones, and uh, I don't take it lightly at all. And uh, um, I have a good uh, my friend here, Sean Clarkson, um, American Magic. Uh, we're the older guys here in the sailing team, and we always sort of have this one about you know treat every day that you're on the yacht as it's your last day doing it. But you know, uh, so you, you make sure you enjoy it, and you make sure you give 100 percent. One day you'll be right. It will be. We'll stop getting asked to do this type of thing, and uh, and that will be it. But you know, if you treat every day like it's the last time you're doing it, you're gonna, you know, enjoy it and, and make the most. How hard though is it, I guess, to be a professional sailor and also have a family? Because um, I read somewhere I think your daughter Sophia was born about five days before the 2012 Star World Champs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when you qualified for the Olympics, as it turned out, and you yeah. turned up basically jet lagged. Uh, straight onto a boat. Yeah, that was uh, an interesting experience because I left my wife in the hospital, and uh, I think the echoing words were, "You better damn well qualify." And I was like, "Yes, dear." Um, and I remember it gave, certainly gave me an extra, you know, an extra uh, bit of motivation for hiking out off the start line. Um, to I had to qualify in New Zealand for a country spot, I think. Yeah, and um, it's not easy with children. And I know it's uh, you know we rely on having you know very supportive and. Um, you know, they say behind every great, every good man's a good woman, and uh, very fortunate that Paula keeps the girls um, on track. 
when I'm away. But it's not easy, and I think it's definitely something as I've got older um, that you know you're more aware of, you know, and it possibly makes you a bit more selective in what sailing you, you know. In the younger years, if anyone asked me, I'm the yep, yep, yep to every single thing because I just love being on the water so much. I love competing and love coaching, racing, whatever. Um, but now with the kids, you know, you, you want to be you want to be a good parent. Well, your kids are now sailing. Uh, I think Sophia's just started Green Fleet, and Chloe, who's in the Opti Optimus class, Open Fleet. Yeah. Um, how involved, I guess, are you involved in their sailing? Uh, up until now, uh, very little. Um, it'd be that funny misconception that because you know, because I sail for a, a living, that you'd be very involved. Uh, apart from, um, I guess, apart from. Uh, occasionally going down to Murray's Bay Sailing Club and doing my roster duty when I'm available um, we've been un- unable to, to, to spend as much time as we'd like you know you're always there to answer questions that they have but it's, it's something that we just with these type of jobs we just the America's Cup you're just so engrossed of it it's, it's every if you're not doing it you're thinking about it you're, you're training you're, you're some you know it's um but going forward, I mean, I guess we're going to have a bit more time on our hands now, so <laughs> maybe we can, that can change. And what kind of opti parent do you think you'll be? Well, yeah, I'd like to think that I'll be uh, on the on the more relaxed side. You know, um, you know, I don't I don't need to live vicariously through my kids. I don't need my daughter to be the optimist world champion. I need her to uh, I need her to have a passion for something. Whether it's sailing or swimming, whatever she wants to do, you know, whatever sport the kids want to do, I'll support it. And I think, you know, uh, kind of fortunately that Chloe and I think Sophia as well both enjoy sailing and like sailing, and they see the benefits of um, of what sailing brings. How you can, you know, the freedom, and um, you know, you're not being coached or over, you know, you're not being told what to do all the time. And I think they they like that. And whilst they're into sailing, then I think. Um, I'll support it as much as I can. Um, um, yeah, I think yeah. You see a lot of parents trying to live, you know, live a bit of their own sailing through their kids, um, and it's a little bit. I can see that a lot of the guys, you know, well, you, you're an opti parent too, so you know this. But I can see a fallout rate reasonably sharp these days. You know, um, I think in the sort of you know say early mid 90s when I was going through this this stage it was a lot of the guys that were sailing then are still sailing now uh, we had a bit less coaching and it's a bit more about fun it wasn't like you know you have you must win you know it's like uh, we're not trying to um, you know we're not launching rockets we're not saving the world we're, li- you know, we're just sailing boats it should be fun it should be you know um, camaraderie having mates on the shore you know Chloe's fortunate she's got some good friends you know good girls group at Murray's Bay um, and it's as much about that as it is is the results sheet you know yeah. well New Zealand's your home but you're also racing for the American team at this AC um, how did that opportunity come about because I was actually just looking through the connections at your Max 72, Maxi 72 team and you sail alongside Terry Hutchinson did that have something to do with it? Uh, yes it did yeah um, I've been fortunate over the years to sell with some really good owners um, Doug DeVos being one Hat Fouth being one of the others uh, 
you know, but Nicholas Zenstrom on RAN as well. A lot of a lot of really good competitive owners and teams. So whether I've been racing with or against, you know, a, a lot of the guys here. Um, but yeah, I think the the connection through Bellamente and sailing on, um, you know, sailing on Bellamente. Um, Terry's obviously a tactician, and I sort of I grind at the aft pedestal right behind him. So we've, you know, we've been uh, sharing a set of handles for a, a number of years. Yeah. Did you ever think you'd be involved in another America's Cup campaign, and especially at your age? And I asked that as a fellow forty-something. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Um, I, I've, I've always had aspirations of the cut. You know, every America's Cup that comes around, I have aspirations to be involved, uh, whether it's involved in a sailing or a support role. Um, I think uh, the role I took on here, you know, from the get-go was always, you know, it was part of the sailing team, but it was more of um, uh, an experienced set of hands to help help nurture the younger guys or the guys on their first campaign. Um, there's a lot of pitfalls you can fall in, and there's a hopefully fast track they're learning. Um, so, um, and I think we, you know, I think we've done a reasonable job of that, and the fact that a lot of the guys that are racing on board were, you know, uh, you know, American guys on their on their first campaign so pass on your wisdom yeah yeah somewhat so what did you think of the boats when you you saw the first, the concept for that first time and then i guess did the reality match your um your idea of what it was going to be yeah i think the the, the boats well as you can see they're, they're amazing pieces of kit aren't they i don't know you know Team New Zealand hand on heart. Did they expect them to be as cool as and good as this? Is probably what they hoped for. Um, I mean, they are. You got to say they're amazing um, to watch and to sail on as well. I mean, you, you know, when you when you see the first digit, the boat speed's got a, a five in it. You know, <laughs> it's quite. It's surreal to th- you know to think that you're sailing sailing around at 50 plus knots. It's just uh, you know around a race course too. Not not just uh, you know not just straight line training. It's. Uh, they're amazing bits of kit. I mean, you got to just see where you think they might end up. You know, obviously, a lot of teams here had version one boats, uh, which were very different to their version two boats. You know, we, we sped up by a huge percentage of our second boat. And then uh, you imagine if it stayed in these boats, going to a third generation or fourth generation, you have to, you know, see where they could be in the future. It's, it's mind boggling. Yeah. Do you remember that first sailing experience and, and what was that like? Yeah, there was quite a lot of people looking at each other with sort of. Uh, open eyes of like wow this is I mean we're, we're quite fortunate of our team we had the, our test boat the smaller boat um, and being smaller lighter uh, it was that was pretty loose that thing so we, we had quite a few <laughs> uh, a few spills and bits of action with that one that which um, maybe readied us for, for the big boat how has the role of I guess a grinder evolved you know maybe from the 2003 and 2005 uh, seven campaigns that you were involved in to now I would say a lot of things have changed you know say the role of the grinder but I think there's been a lot of learning in the sports science field as well from what you know what we knew about uh, strength and conditioning 20 years ago to, to what knowledge there is now what knowledge there is about nutrition what knowledge there I mean forget the system on the boat and everything and the efficiencies we can gain there but just in the human performance there's a lot of uh, learning there but from a grind, you know from a grinder I guess uh, I'm probably 
my weigh-in for the semi-finals, I was the lightest I'd been since the midnight. So uh, we're a lot lighter, leaner. Um, I imagine we put out, you know, I guess it's, we never really used to measure watts so much, you know, on the on the IACC boats. It's more about peak power efforts. You know, you could do a, a big effort for a short period of time with more rest, as in you were doing. You'd do attack it, it'd be a you know bang, and then you'd sort of stop and collect yourself, and then the next move, the next move, the next move. Whereas, whereas here it's more a sort of longer sustained period. You know, it's uh, wouldn't be uncommon for you to be head down and going for the whole, you know, the whole. Uh, the whole race so I mean there's a lot more on uh, you know threshold training and you know how long you can sustain a, a high level of watts so it's more of a you know it's a very different type of you know type of but I mean, you're still just turning handles at the end of the day so, so head down how aware of you are you I guess of what's going on in a race uh, it would depend on what position you, you sell in the boat I mean every boat and every uh, every team is set up slightly differently but um, most of the grinders have functions to play like you know they could be uh, foot buttons for moving various cell controls um, you want to try and unload the, the helmsman and the wing trimmer and things where, where you can for some of the functions um, you know you got you still got jib tri- you still got people trimming the jib on a manual winch or a mechanical winch so you've got a you know those guys are still you know, having to be aware of what's happening. Um, the role that I would sell, you know, if I'm um, if I'm filling in, in Terry's position, you know, I have a tactical computer, so I'm probably sort of um, more fortunate than others that I can see true wind direction, true wind angles, and what the course is looking like. Um, but I think some of the guys that are facing aft in the boat, you know, in the number one, number one and number five, or the forward positions, as we'd, we'd call them, you know, the they're looking backwards on a speeding train and if their communication system went down I think they'd be in a fair bit of trouble because they wouldn't know what was coming at them next so they um, wouldn't know if they're going upwind or downwind uh, well it was fun. Um, a couple of weeks ago I went and did a talk at the Eastern Beach for the Opti camp and um, you know there's that TV show isn't there are you smarter than an 11 year old and uh you know, all this group of 11-year-olds are firing me questions about apparent wind and foil can angles and all this kind of stuff. It was uh, um, quite intense. Um, but they did ask me the question, and I did say, honestly, there are times when I wouldn't know if we are going upwind or downwind. You know, if I don't have a display. If, 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 my, if I didn't have the electronics or the comm system, you know, you wouldn't know at times. So the boat can feel the same? Regardless. Well, the, the platform's level, the sails are in the middle of the boat. You know, it's, it's uh, yeah. You talked about that sustained effort. So then how physically demanding is a 25-minute race for, for grinders? It's pretty much uh, an FTP effort, so it's pretty, you know, it's it's pretty full-on. You know, you can see from, uh, you can see from days when there's a two-race day that a lot of the teams would, um, um, would swap guys out in between races. Uh, that's a pretty good indicator of the, the effort. I mean, uh, if there were no crew swaps, you'd think it was uh, it was manageable over two races. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's impressive some of the athletes across all the teams. I mean, we've got guys in our team that come from like an Olympic kayaking background, and what they can produce is, you know, as a traditional old school grinder, I think I go pretty well. But far out, some of these guys are, are actual athletes, you know. Did you, you know, there are a lot of young bucks on there too, um, and we've 
unfortunately we have talked about your age, but yep, um, yep. did you take a bit of pride in the fact that you're on the older side of um, yeah. of the age bracket, but still, you know, still as competitive as ever? Yeah, I think um, is it a, a bit of old school stubbornness can help in a lot of these things, and when it comes to you know grinding tests, uh, there's nothing like a bit of. Uh, you know, uh, old bull mentality as far as, uh, you know, I'm not going to let this break me and, I'm, you know, I can do this type thing. And perhaps after a test, my recovery might be a bit slower than the, the younger lads. Um, but in, in the moment and you're doing the effort, it's, it's, you know, I'm not trying to prove something to the young guys. It's just, uh, you know, we're all on the same team. And I see, you know, I often say to the boys, like, I don't, I don't really, I don't care what the numbers are. I just want to see your max effort. So, you know. I can only say these things to the younger guys if I'm prepared to go there myself, and uh, you just got to find your find your happy dark place and uh, and get on with it. You know. So will we see Jim Turner at another America's Cup? Uh, I would hope so, and uh, yes would be the answer. Whether I'm uh, whether I'm turning handles, I would. Uh, <laughs> I think that on these type of boats, I think the, the physicality of it, it may it'd be beyond my beyond me now. I think. Uh, you know, as I say, uh, generation one of the boats, generation two of the boats. I think we'll see generation one and two and three of the sailors as well. I think we'll we'll work out um, we'll work out more efficient ways of sailing the boat. We'll start sailing the boat for you know there could be more oil demand perhaps to you know move the boat more aggressively. Um, you know, it's only going to get more physical, and uh, and I suggest in my later years I'll be getting less physical. <laughs> so, we're, what sort of position do you think you you'd suited for? Um, well, I think between you know um, running businesses and uh, working with the sailing team, you know the human the human element of it. You know, I think as I've got to bring a lot to the teams. I think as far as a uh, you know I can sit in on design meetings. I can be in with the sailing team and wherever I'm on the shop floor sorting out things. There's a lot. You know, we can. Uh, there's a lot. There's always a lot you can do with these teams. I mean, I would you know I'd be. I would rather be in a team driving a you know, driving a weather boat or standing on North Head helping give some weather information than, than be watching it on TV, always. Where do you see the America's Cup going from here? Yeah, good question. Big, big good question, question, question isn't it? Good question. Uh, if this is leaning to who's going to win, yeah, okay, I can see where you're going. Um, I mean... It's like anything. It's you know the AC50 only got one America's Cup and the boats changed. The uh, AC72s in Bermuda only had, uh, sorry in uh, in San Francisco had one one America's Cup and then um, they changed. So I think for anything you know to for it to gain traction, it just needs to be the same boats for multiple cups. In my, this is my opinion, not you know it's not American Magic's opinion. It's uh, uh, but you know when when there was the 12 meter class for a long you know for numerous cups, it just gathered momentum. When it's the IACC boats over a number of campaigns, it gathers momentum. You know, culminating like we say, 10, 12 boats and these things. Uh, but between um, between um, um, San Francisco, Bermuda. Um, and here, you know, there's not been that many challenges, and, and I think it's due to the nature of the, of the, you know, chopping and changing of boats. It's, it's, it's immensely hard for a startup team to, to get going, and you, know, you see how complicated these boats are. So, um, you know, I, I guess for it to get more competitive and have more boats, you just got to keep it in the same boats, whatever they are, you know. Because the New York Yacht Club had sort of talked about going, returning to more traditional boats if American Magic had won the America's Cup. What's sort of your view on that? 
personally, I, I you know I sit on the fence of all of it. I say I've been fortunate enough to sail um, dinghies, big boats, monohulls, catamarans, falling boats, non-falling boats. You know, I, I just love sailing and I love racing. So, uh, you know, I've got a, got a brand new OK dinghy waiting for me at Wakatiri for, for for the next few weeks. You know, I'll sail anything and, and love anything. It's, a, it's I think for me, it's more about the um, it's more about the competition than it is the what the actual boat is. Mm. Um, so what next for um, for, for Jim Turner? Uh, good question. Well, so I got the OK down at Wakatiri, so we're sailing that for the next uh, um, next bit of time, and uh, just trying to be a, a good opti dad, <laughs> trying. Um, yeah, I think we've got uh, we've got the Inter Islander coming up in Picton uh, for the Opties, so we'll head off down there. Um, bit of a late commitment because we I guess we planned to be in the Prada Cup final, but um, we've uh, our time has freed up. Um, we have a we have a, a plan in place uh, to sell Bellamente for the season, and there's some regattas in um, you know the US and and Europe, um, but who knows where we're going to be in the coming months? I think it's good just to be a bit more flexible because. I think one of our first events in the program was uh, Lavoie Saint Barts in April, and that's all. That's just been cancelled last week. Um, I think we'll get into May, June, and see what events are actually going to be happening. Um, whether we're going to be travelling, who who knows? And do you have ambitions in any other type of sailing? You still haven't fulfilled. No, I'm pretty pretty content. I mean, I still um, you know I, I, I match racing tour with Ian Williams. You know, we were with a. Congressional, Congressional Cup, Cup holders, holders. Yeah, yeah, there you go. So uh, we'll, we'll go defend that. I think they've just moved that from April to September. So we'll go and defend that. And, um, you know, again, I just love, um, you know, when the phone rings and can you go to a match racing event, uh, 52, 72, if, if it's good and competitive, then uh, I'm there ready to go. Yeah. So can you just come down off that fence and maybe tell us who's going to win the America's Cup? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> if I knew, I could probably make some... Good coin. Uh, don't know. Um, I mean, I would have to say that the defender has got, in all that I've seen, I mean, they're very fast. They're very quick. Uh, they've got nice, stable control, and they, you know, they look like they're in a good place. I think they'd be very hard to beat. I mean, that's not that's not the answer you're looking for, but you know, I wouldn't bet my house on it. But I think they're in a pretty strong spot. Good. Good. Well, it's probably. Um you know, we've talked about cap sizes, and, and we've got to the moment where I will ask you your worst wipeout ever. Um, so, Jim Turner, the floor is yours. Okay, um, got to think it's either 1996, 1997. Um, International 14 Worlds are in uh, Richmond Yacht Club, uh, San Francisco. Yeah. Um, so yeah, International 14 Worlds. I think we're leading a leading a race in the Berkeley Circle. Go around the jive mark. Spinnaker up, twin wiring, it's all good. Uh, go for a little bit of chop. Uh, we didn't have hydrofoil rudders in those days, so um, we got a bit loose and a bit high, uh, and nosedived, and uh, we nosedived and uh, wedged the bowsprit about four foot into the mud, um, and had the boat fully, fully upright. Um, got flung off the boat and sort of came out of the water as and geez, what what happened there? And I'm yes, I'm literally waist waist deep in mud. Uh, and then looking around, and there's 80 boats just sailing past us. Uh, it was quite an experience. And was the boat still stuck in an yeah, upright position? Yeah, it was like a very slow sort of. It stayed like kebabbed on its bowsprit and just sort of slowly just fell over. Uh, we we brought the boat upright and carried on sailing. There was just mud just squirting out at the end of the pole. So it was, 
So a fair bit of banter, I'm sure, at the end of the day from fellow competitors. Yeah, yeah especially as we were leading, as, leading the race as well. So, that, yeah, that wasn't, wasn't the best look. But. And how did the wreck adder end up? Uh, terrible, because I think from, it's one of those ones, uh, maybe, a bit like, uh, maybe a bit like this one, where uh, there's some regattas you turn up to and you can't put a foot wrong, and there's some regattas you turn up to when you can't get it, you can't catch a cold. Um, I think we snapped a trapeze wire. I think somebody sailed into lured of us before the start and snapped our lured tiller extension off. Uh, I think the bowsprit snapped. You know, just you know, I think the Europeans had been three weeks before and won every single race, and we got to the worlds and just couldn't catch a couldn't catch a break. But well, that's the game. You know, that's the game. Some you win, some you lose. That's sport. Mm, at least you got uh, fifteen world titles to you, you know rest sleep easily at <laughs> yeah, night. Yeah, exactly. It? Yeah. Well, thank you very much for um, for making the time today. Really appreciate it. We've covered a lot of territory, obviously. Um, not quite the result that you guys were looking for in this America's Cup, but you've certainly added to the colour and the spectacle that has been this AC in Auckland. Um, and look forward to seeing you down at the uh, boat park in Picton. Yeah, thanks very much. Well, it's been my pleasure to bring you this episode of Broad Reach Radio. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Jim Turner and also the new music at the top of the show. If you've got any suggestions or feedback, then feel free to email me on michaelb at yachtingnz.org.nz and if you've liked what you've heard, don't forget to give us a follow. In the meantime, I'll catch you in a fortnight with the next episode. Take care.